get that Bible, or if you brought one from home, I encourage you to open to the letter of 1 Timothy. We are back in chapter 6. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 6. I think it, that's the wrong one, Mojo. There it is. There she is. Um, I love junior hires. A group like this, love getting to know you guys. A group like this, so scholarly and sage-like. None of you would ever ignore a warning sign. Not like some of my favorite photos I found in the last day or so. Not like these people. Here's a, a nice, helpful sign, this next one. It, uh, it's pretty clear. Pretty. I mean, the language is up top, but the bottom one you get, poisonous species do not step into the water. Pretty straightforward. Hard to not really know what that warning's talking about. But then you have all these curious people who, you know, they're just like, ah, Whatever, let's do it. Or this sign, I think, is, is really helpful too. It's kind of small, so I'll read it. It says, no access onto the wedding cake rock permitted. That'll make sense in a second. It says underneath that, the wedding cake rock is unstable. It may suddenly collapse without warning. Do not risk your life for a photo. And then I, just all these people happily scale the fence to go out. You see how the, it is cool, Rocco, right? It does look like a wedding cake. And the next one you see, I mean, they're just loving it. They're happy to be on there. This girl's doing a handstand, totally willing to, to risk her life for, you know, Instagram content. It's helpful. Uh, this next one just kind of reminds us that our world is full of signs like this, where the sign should really be enough. Like we see the sign and we're like, boy, that warning's there for a reason. But often the warning is neglected. Our world is filled with warning signs. Uh, Because of an allergy, you may have to pay attention to food label warnings or... I don't know, on one of the seven days a year it rains here, someone might warn you that like the, the steps are slippery because they're wet. I think you'll notice more warning signs when you start to drive a car. Oh, as you get older, you know, one day you might be a mom or a dad and you'll be warning your own kids about all the dangerous stuff around them. Even with all the warning signs, even though they're everywhere, we don't always listen to them. Or we think that maybe that warning, it isn't really that big of a deal. Maybe it's just like a suggestion. You know, I can take one quick selfie. That rock looks safe. It's a rock. Where Where's it going? I can just have... Maybe one quick bite of this thing. How much gluten could there actually be in this? Or how many peanuts that I'm allergic to? Warning signs all around us. Those signs are there to try to keep us from danger, trying to help us avoid something catastrophic. 
something horrible like getting stung by a poisonous sea creature or falling to your death because, like I said, you wanted that Instagram content. Warning signs, though, they're not limited to the ocean and you know, poisonous liquids. There are more warnings in life than just this product may contain peanuts and don't touch the fence. The Bible actually gives us plenty of warnings as well. Just like some that we've seen this morning, these warnings also are meant to help us. They're meant to keep us from really hurting ourselves, both physically, but more importantly, spiritually. God gives us warnings that are meant to keep us from spiritual catastrophe. Do we pay attention to the warning signs that God gives us? Do we see them for what they actually are? Or, like warnings on fences or whatever, do we look at them and think, meh, no big deal. It's probably not that serious. This morning, as we continue in 1 Timothy 6, we have another warning. And this one is actually a a repeat warning. Our passage this morning is not the, it's not the first warning on the fence. It's not the first warning on the trail. It's the second one. It's the warning that says, no, seriously, you need to turn around. You need to listen. You need to pay attention to this warning that I'm giving you. Our text this morning is one that Paul is finally getting back to. Paul wrote this letter to a young pastor named, you know, surprise, surprise, named Timothy. And this letter is just meant to be a help to him. As a young pastor, he's here to bring order to this church, this church that he's leading. And he's needing some help by Paul to bring some order to the chaos that's in this Church And Paul began in chapter 1 with the most important thing that Timothy needed to do. He needed to, you'll read in verses 3 and 4, he needed to charge certain teachers, certain elders. They were really just pastors that weren't qualified. He needed to, to charge them, basically to command them to stop teaching their different doctrine. That's what it says in chapter 1, verse 3. Their different doctrine was dangerous because the Bible helps us understand that anything different is actually not true. It's actually a lie. There is only one truth. Paul wrote in a different letter, but interestingly to the same church, he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, there's only one truth. He says there is one body and one spirit There is one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's just one God. There's just one gospel. There's just one truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there is one and only one truth. There can't be a different truth. There can't be a different 
doctrine, anything different is not only distracting, it's dangerous and ultimately deadly, spiritually deadly. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So these false teachers, that's what we would call them, these pastors who were teaching something different, they needed to be stopped because well, different doctrine is wrong doctrine. Just thinking about that verse in 1 John 5, 20 for a second, different is not the truth. It's not right. It's not the real gospel. It doesn't lead us to have any real understanding. It certainly doesn't lead us to know him, Jesus, who is true, or to be in him who is true, to have that saving faith in him. Without the truth, that's the point. We can't have the true God, and we certainly can't have eternal life. So Paul wanted Timothy to charge these, again, pastors who shouldn't have been pastors. He wanted them to stop teaching their error because they were teaching ultimately something that wasn't promoting the truth about Jesus Christ. It wasn't the truth about the gospel. Paul said in chapter 1 that they were focused on speculations and myths. You would have walked in and sat there and said, it sounds like church stuff. It sounds, you know, godly church talk, but it was deadly because it wasn't leading anyone to genuine faith, to saving faith. They were wasting their stewardship that was given to pastors. Rather than doing what they were supposed to do, they were distancing people from the only gospel that could actually save them. So Paul started this letter with that topic, the dangers of false teaching, and now he's ending where he began. Charge certain persons, he wrote in verse 3 of chapter 1, not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and these endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that's by faith. After all he said, Paul is finally going to go back to where he began. There was this clear warning in chapter 1. Impossible to miss. It was posted in the trail. It's there. So this must be so serious for Paul to you know, circle back or if you want to think of it this way, for Paul to walk another half mile down this trail and put up another warning. It must be so serious for him to say again, stop, go back. There's only danger and pain and devastation ahead. So another warning about false teachers here in chapter 6, but one I think that will really help us Consider our own lives. Consider our own relationship with Christ. These false teachers, let me just remind you, they began well. It hadn't really been that long since they were doing well, but something happened. They veered off course. 
They had been deceived by the world, been lured away by Satan's schemes. They had made shipwreck of their lives, of their faith. Chapter 1 says they had wandered away from Christ. They had abandoned their faith. And that's something that every Christian should want to avoid, should want to be aware of, of what what is it that could possibly lead me to that. Well, don't miss this warning. Our big idea this morning from chapter 6, verses 3 to 10, is going to be this. Distancing ourselves from Christ leads to spiritual disaster. Distancing ourselves from Christ leads to spiritual disaster. Let's start reading in verse 3 of chapter 6, and then we'll see what God's Word has for us this morning. Verse 3 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, so again, familiar words, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, while he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. What makes a false teacher so dangerous And what can we learn from these men who have created such spiritual chaos, not only in their own lives, but the lives of all around them? Well, verses 3 to 5 is actually one huge sentence to help us understand the answer to those very questions. I'm going to give us two warnings from this passage. And the first is this, don't neglect God's word. Don't neglect God's word is warning number one. We can learn from these men who have so shipwrecked their lives. Don't neglect God's word. Verse 3 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness. Again, you see there in verse 3, a beginning that has the same phrase from chapter 1, verse 3, that different doctrine. These guys are teaching something that is That is different. It's teaching that doesn't agree. And Paul goes right at it with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's more. It also doesn't agree with the teaching that accords with godliness. Here is the root problem. In this dangerous teaching, Christ is not the center. Man is. That's the problem. When it comes to salvation, they were teaching that you had to do something to earn it. We've been seeing that throughout this whole letter. They love to add works to the gospel. They weren't denying Christ's death on the cross, but 
Just that if anyone really truly wanted to be saved, they, they were going to have to do something to earn it. We've looked at that throughout this letter, especially chapter 4. These men had abandoned truth. They were teaching that Christ was not the sufficient source for salvation, nor was Jesus the starting point for growth in godliness. And this false teaching, the sound words of Christ were being neglected. They were being rejected. Jesus wasn't the center of salvation or the source of growing in godliness. They were teaching that godliness could come from denying certain things in the world that God said, no, those are good. I want you to have those. They were neglecting even what Paul said in chapter 3, verse 16. Great indeed, Paul writes, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he just talks about Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What does that mean? What is Paul saying? Jesus is the mystery of godliness. Godliness is always going to be connected to Jesus. It's him, his life, his ministry, his passion to go to the cross, his gospel believed by many. Jesus is everything for us. Jesus makes salvation possible. He makes our godliness possible. Our obedience to his word because of our love for him, that's what godliness is all about. Jesus makes that possible. Without his teaching, here's the point, neither can exist. Without the words of Christ, without understanding the truth of who he is and the truth of salvation, we not only can't have godliness, we don't have salvation either. When we distance ourselves from God and his scriptures, we are embracing a different doctrine. A different truth, one that is no truth at all. And without that truth, we are disagreeing with the sound words of Christ. We're distanced and separated from salvation and we're cut off from any godliness. This man-centered teaching of these false teachers was beyond dangerous. And here's sort of the result, their character on display in verses 4 to 5. Deadly teaching that leads to this flawed character. Paul writes it this way. If someone believes and teaches a different doctrine, then this is the result. He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Here, Paul begins to highlight similar and familiar descriptions of the unqualified pastor. Chapter 1, verse 7, they want to be teachers of God's word so badly. That's all they want. But even in chapter 1, Paul wrote there, they don't understand God's word at all. They have no grasp, grasp of it. They're so confident in their teaching, but they're clueless of the actual meaning of Scripture. But they don't care because they want to be a teacher so bad. And here in chapter 6, Paul writes, they're proud of who they are. They're puffed up with pride, and yet their vanity, it's it's undeserved. They have no reason to be so proud of their teaching because they understand nothing. They have zero spiritual understanding. Yikes, zero. 
You ever get a zero on a test? Like one that you actually took? I get it. You get a zero that you didn't take it. I think you get points even just for putting your name on it. They got a zero on their Bible test. Why? Well, look, verse 3, because they've rejected the sound words of Christ. Not only are they full of pride and void of truth, but they also love controversy. They're, they're sick in their craving to fight and quarrel, spiritually sick. They fight for all the wrong things. They're always focused on the wrong words, and they have no ability to grasp the plain meaning of Scripture. And what's worse is that they're convinced that they are right. Nothing can dissuade them from their position. They won't back down. They won't budge. They won't see it any other way. They can't see it any other way. And so the result is they fight with everyone around them, everyone who disagrees with their position, which, by the way, would actually be somebody who agrees with the truth. With all their confidence and their sick spiritual state, these men can only create chaos. In verses 4 and 5, we can follow the trail of chaos, produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people. When Christ is not at the center of everything that we do, when we don't obey his word out of love for him, when Jesus is not our joy, then our joy can only be found in one place, and that's ourself. It's going to be in our world and in our stuff and in our possessions and our popularity and our victories and our successes and all of that void of Christ. When you are your own treasure, then you can't possibly enjoy the success of anyone else. Envy abounds when the heart is full of self. There's going to be a gross resentment for the success of others, and the result is envy. I want what you have. I deserve what you have. And Paul says not just the false teachers, but the whole church is going to be consumed with people who are so envious of each other. And when that's the attitude of everyone, then here comes the trail. Dissension will follow. The relationships amongst God's people, it's not going to be what it should be. God's people are going to be divided. That's what dissension means. Disagreements that lead to disunity. And once there is division, slander will be quickly behind and evil suspicions. And ultimately there's constant friction among God's people. And this is a mess. And if you remember from last week, what a, what a huge impact the, the church is supposed to make on the watching world, the, the testimony of the gospel that we're meant to put on display by the way that we live in an environment like that. It's the opposite. There is no testimony for the gospel when that's what's happening. And the source, remember, is that they have distanced themselves from the sound words of Christ. God's word has been neglected. The lack of Christ and his words, it leads these teachers even to the ultimate corruption, so depraved in their mind that they actually think godliness 
is a, a means of gain. Depraved in mind, it's a mind that's just fully decayed, rotted. I'm from the pumpkin capital of the world, Morton, Illinois. Look it up. Pumpkins. Beautiful at Thanksgiving. Decorations, the table, the porch. Makes a pretty good pie. But if you leave that pumpkin sit for too long, you know what happens? Ever seen one sort of fold in on itself and start to rot and get gross and stink? That's how Paul's talking about their minds here. These guys, they have minds that are rotted pumpkin brains. They're so far gone that they look at ministry as a job. It's a way to make a living. Oh, you could be a lifeguard, work at in and out be a pastor, all the same. No difference. And we need this warning sign. Hadn't been very long since these guys were, and this church was living the way that God wanted them to live. They were growing in the gospel and godliness. Of course it matters that we listen to the right teachers, but we also, and this is the lesson for us, you guys, we need to check our own lives to learn from their mistakes. If you're a young Christian in the room this morning, you need to ask yourself, am I listening to the sound words of Christ? And even if you're not, you need to ask yourself the same question. Do I need to agree with his gospel? Do I see it? Do I understand it? Am I listening to his call to believe and submit to his teaching that he is Lord of all? Do I believe in his promise to grow me? Do I understand his command to to work out my own salvation, to work hard at obeying and to work hard at growing as a follower of Christ, to grow in godliness? Do I love the words of Christ? It's so dangerous to leave them. If we ignore the warning and continue down the trail of of distancing ourselves from the Bible, the result is a deadly rock-bottom place. We'll be agents of destruction, creating chaos with everyone around us. And by the way, your life without Christ can only be that. Chaos and pain, envy and dissension, everything just complicated in its mess. Junior hires, the word of God is so important, non-negotiable for your life. Do not neglect God's word. Number two, we're so past time. Don't neglect God's work quickly. Sometimes a warning, you saw it earlier with the fence sign, it comes with a little fine print, a little extra motivation. Well, verses six to 10 could be viewed that way. How do we keep ourselves from distancing from Christ? By this little reminder, verse 6, but godliness with contentment, it is great gain. Godliness is a means of gain, just not physical, not financial. There is great gain when godliness is connected and coupled with contentment. We might consider what Paul said in another letter to fully understand what he means Philippians chapter 4, he says, I've learned, verse 11, in whatever situation I am to be content. 
Sounds similar, but he says more, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is content, not because of anything that he can do. Paul is learned how to be content in good times and hard times, times when he has more than enough and times when he's a little short on what he needs. But regardless, he remains content and confident because of Christ. He can get through it. He can endure because of the one at work in his life, because of the work of Jesus. Christ is actively at work in his life. And because of that, Paul says, I can be content no matter what. Christians find contentment and comfort in the words of Christ in Matthew 6. 6. Jesus talking about how God even provides for creation. He supplies for the flowers and the birds. Jesus gives his disciples this command to not be anxious about what they'll eat or what they'll wear, but he says, rather seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Christians aren't to worry about food and clothing. They're to be content because they know God is actively working in their life. Paul gives us a little more to think about in verses 7 to 8. Birth and death remind us that the stuff isn't what's important. We don't bring anything into this world when we're born. We're not going to bring anything out of this life either. So being greedy for you know, money and financial gain, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the Christian. But for one who's distancing himself from God and his word and his work, that becomes a temptation. That's going to become a snare, something that can really just become consuming. And so Paul completes his thought, verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. Here, just a final thought about the dangers of losing that contentment in Christ. When God is not at work in your life, in, at work in, in your every day, your focus is going to shift from him to the world. It's going to shift from Christ to that checking account and you're hoping it has several commas in it that's what's going to happen there's a serious warning here greed it has a way of becoming such a consuming lifestyle this is what paul's saying so much so that you would forsake anything and anyone to have more that's why it's so dangerous that's the kind of rich that paul's talking about it's going to plunge you into ruin and it's going to force you into this destructive lifestyle. Notice that it's not money, but love of money that's the problem. This greed is a danger for everyone. It's a trap that you need to see, but one that's much harder to see when you're distant from Jesus and his work. 
One of the pastors in my life from a long time ago used to say, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. And it'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you were ever wanting to pay. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. That's the same warning. This kind of greed will cost you more than you want to pay. It's the kind of greed that has caused some to leave the faith, Paul writes. And not just that, because some might say, you know, maybe leaving the faith and having all that money, maybe life would be awesome. Maybe it's a good trade. And Paul says it's not. It's not going to be worth it. He says, not just abandoning faith, but also a life full of piercing pangs. What is that? It's a nice, nice Knife. It's a nice way of saying impaled with grief. Pretty gruesome way to just describe, but probably no better way to highlight how it feels. Sure, they have money. They have everything they could buy, but they also have wood stakes of grief driven into their body, into their heart, into their mind. That's how it feels. They have all the money they want to buy, whatever they want, but their families are a mess and their lives are void of joy. Solomon tried the same thing. He had all the money. He had all the stuff. And his end thought was so clear. That stuff doesn't matter. Apart from God, there is no joy. As we've traveled this path here in 1 Timothy, let me just remind you where we started. The beginning of that trail. There we had a warning, a sign that said, stop, danger, don't go any further. This is a trail that's leading you away from Christ and away from his word and away from his work. It's one that led those false teachers of this church in Ephesus into such disaster. And it was so bad that Paul was willing to walk a little farther and post another warning sign. He wants you to see it. He doesn't want you to miss it. It's not here once, but twice. And in this second warning, let me just leave you with one thought. Again, we've said it so many times, but don't miss it. Where did it all go wrong? Where did it begin? These false teachers wandered away from Christ, from his sound teaching, from his word And they wandered away from his work in their life. They did, and the result is a life pierced with grief. You're standing at the edge, and this warning sign is in front of you. What will you do? Christ himself would tell you the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus would tell you to follow me. The author of Hebrews would tell you to to free your life from the love of money. Follow Christ instead, the one who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. A warning that I am praying that you will heed this morning. Father, thank you for our time in this passage. What a... Helpful and what a serious warning in front of us.
Father, I am so grateful for the sound words of Scripture, from the sound teaching that you give us in the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand, that you would help us to hear the warning this morning for everyone in the room, Lord. This is for everyone. Lord, those without you, may they see the dangerous trail that they're on, the dangerous path that they're on, leaving your word and your work behind. Lord, help them to know it will only lead to further destruction. God, those of us who you've been so gracious and kind to save, Father, help us to see this as a reminder, as a warning, as, God, the the necessity that it is to continue to persevere in our love for you and our faith for you. God, grow our affection for you this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.